Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 48 of Pounding the Table. Got to give a quick shout out to Minnesota twin, Tori Hunter, Jacob DeGrom for our New York folks out there. Tony, let's kick it over to you to go through the stock twits recap of the week. Yeah, Avi. I mean, look at this right here. We got Bitcoin, of course, leading the charge. Everyone's talking about crypto now, day in and day out. But uh, it was not a ripper Magoo this week. We definitely had a lot of leakage across the board. But what I will say to people is this, like, do you even care? Is Bitcoin at 55K very different than Bitcoin at 69K? Like, it doesn't really matter. Bitcoin is up what, like 500% over the last year. Ethereum's up well over 1,000%. AVAX is up like, Solana's up like, so like, yeah, these things are figuring themselves out. It's Most of these names are still in price discovery. And what I'll say now is that like, there are so many different people who are getting into crypto and there's a finite amount of supply of all of it. So like, you know, my long-term thesis of it, I think that this leakage is whatever. Like, I don't really care because I know that in a year it'll be, we'll be like, oh, Bitcoin went from 200 to 150. Oh, well, like, so what? You know, it's, it's going to continuously move higher. And like, it's funny, there's like this chart it's on Twitter and everyone shows it just like the, the Bitcoin, like over time where it's projected to go. And it's like been following it identically. And I think that it's become such like a big phenomenon in people's heads that they follow this, that I think it's just going to continue going that way. I mean, it's obviously based on a bunch of other factors too, like when the happenings are and the amount of people using the never going to snap. But I do think it'll follow that. You said Bitcoin from 200 to, to Bitcoin. Are we talking about that? <laughs> What do you mean? Oh, you're saying 200,000. Like, All right, let's keep yeah, rocking. Like, <laughs> Bitcoin will be a million dollars. There is just no doubt. Like, if you think about this, the Bored Apes, like that's one of the most famous NFT collections now. They're going to be number one soon. It's just too main. All the normies found out about it. The, the norm, the Anons, they found out yeah. about it. But yeah. it's worth like $3 billion now, the cumulative enterprise of their apes, the mutants, and the, the dogs. It's like $3 billion. So I think that money is just continuously moved around. And what I will say, though, about Bitcoin is Bitcoin used to be Bitcoin equals crypto, and it's not that anymore. It's not this like, oh, like Bitcoin is the only thing that we can invest in with crypto. There are world changing the next Apple Teslas being made right now. And I'm like definitely watching them all on the crypto sphere. And they are taking market share from Bitcoin. Like when flipping it's soon. The flipping will probably happen next year or two. I got to bring up crypto.com is taking over the Staples Center. Can you imagine that? I feel like I'm in New York here. I can't imagine MSG, Madison Square Garden being a different name. And I feel like Staples Center is a staple in the NBA community. And so yeah. that's going to be very weird to hear crypto.com. But that that is a statement, right? They that's an aggressive moves. marketing move. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much that costs, but they're making they're making big moves, and that's a big move. We have China names falling down here. Another thing on the stock twits uh, trending tickers of the week. Of course, Baba's just been getting obliterated. And you know, I had always debated whether or not to be like involved in uh, like China names over the last six to eight months, and like I really haven't been. The only one that I was possibly considering like longing for a long time is really like Pinduo Duo. But even that's like I mean, it's gone up still a lot from where it was. Like it's I think it's done far better than Baba in the last year, but still like all these names are, are getting held back a lot. One thing I've learned in the last like six to eight months is that there's a lot of names that you can debate and there's a lot of names that we can all have opinions about. And those are the wrong names to invest in. 
if you have to discuss it and you have to have an, a debate or opinion in this market in this day and age with like everyone buying the same seven names, if no one likes it, don't buy it. Like that's like kind of my new motto for the market. Like no matter how much you think you're right or whatever, doesn't fucking matter. Like the big guys with the money are moving the shit around and nobody else is worth a damn drop in the bucket. So, I mean, Baba, like why even like just move it to another screen called the like, I won't touch it until someone else tells me about it screen. And honestly, the same with Tilray, a lot of those other, like, and that was also mentioned on the stock twits tickets of the week, but I do feel very bullish on marijuana going forward. Like, I think that in general, the like MSOs, US companies will do really well. I think a lot of these companies like Aurora Cannabis and Tilray have gotten so pumped up recently and like not in, like in the last like five years. I remember trading this like a while ago myself and just seeing how those companies are so far behind the ones that we're talking about now is like a pretty big deal. Yeah, I think it's a, like it's inevitable, right? Like we, we talked about this, I think in episode like two or three early on, we said weed stocks, that's all going to become federally legal. Same thing with with all these sports books. They're going to become federally legal. It's so, happening in Germany right Germany, now. Like it's, yeah, you know, Germany is set to legalize it. Of all places. That's great. Right? right? <laughs> if it happens in Germany, it will happen in the US. Pound the table on that. Easily. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. And I, I, I do wonder what the industry will look like. Like, I wonder if it'll be this consolidation. Like, I wonder if like Altria is going to be the one that just like buys everyone or like, is it going to be, I don't know who owns Marlboro, maybe them, but I think like a lot of the cigarette companies will just start like putting it under the same wing. NVIDIA, absolute monster week recently and, and all AMD, like th- these are, it's a yeah, no brainer. Chip mode. Chip yeah, mode. I, mean, I, was, I was joking about like Frito-Lay, like we're good to go, but like it is chip mode 100%. And do you think that's going to slow down? Like that, they, no, they obviously ran off this meta conversation. NVIDIA has been cheap and NVIDIA has been held back by the same guys who don't know anything as the same people who bet against crypto. It's like, I was in NVIDIA since it was like, like I first started messing with NVIDIA. I remember like $20 a share in like high school. And now like it's split and it's done all these amazing things. And I like was super bullish on it when it was like in the fifties and sixties pre-split, of course. And now just like looking at where it's come, it's like, we've talked about this on the pod with Dom recently, like a a little while back, they've done everything that was in my like prediction presentation and further. And they're just like, so perfectly poised to just capture everything in the next decade. Like the amount of compute power, amount of GP, like all of it that you're going to need to be able to do what we're People are trying to buy the constitution and like in order to like, if you think about all that, all that is related, like somebody buys GPUs to do mining or to do gaming. And then with the gaming that they'll probably go into crypto gaming at some point. And like, it's all really connected. And NVIDIA also just has the most wild AI. And I think I would love to see a comparison between NVIDIA and Tesla's. I think NVIDIA has obviously got like years and years and years more. I think NVIDIA's AI is better than Tesla's, but I do think that like you're going to see Tesla do really similar things. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see Tesla enter the metaverse. Yeah. So uh, while you're talking about computing, you got to talk about IonQ. Went from $20 to up to 35 this week. I mean, absolutely incredible run running with NVIDIA. So, I mean... Those two are kind of going hand in hand. All right, Tony, we got to bring up Lucid, of course. They had their oh, first yeah. ever earnings report, and that went back up, and that was a fun one. And, and I remember you talking about Rivion, and like Rivion was way overrated. So, do you think there's it a is. little like discrepancy here? Like, do you think yeah. Lucid maybe will run up to Rivion? Or do you think Rivion's got to come back down? Dude, or, or, that was my answer. That was literally my answer. I was like, it's going to be one of the two. And I, 
I mean, if you look at Tesla, it's not really about the cars anymore. And I also, okay, Rivian has a special possible catalyst and so does Lucid. And so Rivian's is if they can, if like, for example, like Amazon, if they just buy a bunch of like, because they own so much, they'll just buy a bunch of Rivian trucks. So like they'll have a constant customer and Amazon has 20% stake. So they have a, a freaking incentive to make that succeed. And they're big enough themselves to be the one big customer that Rivian needs or just buy them all out. Like, and then Bezos can be like, I'm the Tesla guy now. What I, and like looking at Lucid though, I think that Lucid's already so far advanced. I know we talked about this on a lot of other pods that they were way ahead of their delivery numbers and like wait lists and everything. And like, they confirmed that on the earnings report. I think it was like 13, 14,000. And they're well under the amount, of, like well over the amount of people they need to complete what they wanted in terms of their like revenue for next year. And I think that even though it's at what it, what's it at now, like fifty five, I think that people were pricing at like eighty billion at like fifty. That's like it's not crazy for me to think that really. Like if you really think about what Tesla and Rivian are worth, and the inflation and like everything in the asset world is just worth so much. Like I know that Ford and GM and all these things like are not really doing much. Like yeah, Ford broke out of like a multi-year breakout, but I still think that the the money will continue to move onto these like real innovators. And Lucid has that ability to just use their licensing, just like Tesla does, like all these OEMs, because it's the tech, as we always said, it's the efficiency, it's the battery. And so putting that in other cars and other like power packs that they're going to make themselves, right? Because if they have that efficiency in the car, imagine the efficiency in like on land power pack, right? So Rivian with Amazon and then Lucid with that OEM licensing, I think that they both have catalysts. So what I, I, I think that they'll probably catch up in price and then from there they'll move together. But I don't think that EVs are even in the slightest bit like slowing down or done. Like we're just getting started. Just to hop in there, Rivian uh, essentially announced today that Ford is no longer going to be working with them on an EV, which is a little weird. Like you said, Ford and GM, you know, you would think that they would try and innovate and working with Rivian is, is a way for them to kind of innovate a little bit. And them coming out saying that, you know, we're not going to work with Rivian anymore on an EV is a little weird considering they are a fairly large stakeholder too. Now, Amazon, on the other hand, they're, they're sticking with them and they're going to continue to work on those contracts. But I think it's pretty weird to see that Ford no longer will work with them for an mm-hmm. EV. And uh, Riley, what's interesting there is like, I wonder if these companies are now, you know, like Tesla opened all their patents up to everybody. And I wonder if like the game for these like dinosaurs, like the, uh, the Fords and the, the GMs of the world, is to just like buy out higher and like try to push it themselves. Cause I don't think that the world is as, as far along as like understanding where EVs are. And like, no one cares about the efficiency difference between a Lucid or a Tesla, like the average person doesn't. And so if you've been buying Fords your whole life and your parents have been buying Fords and you drive a Ford truck, you're going to buy an electric Ford truck. And like, I think that there's always going to be a market to capture there for those. But I think that over time, what's nice is that people trend towards intelligence and like the species as a whole will move towards better companies and cars. And knowing that Lucid's so far ahead and Tesla's so far ahead and even Rivian's like without even delivering a car is so far ahead. So I think that those companies are just kind of trying to do what they should have done five years ago in a, in a short time frame. So it doesn't surprise me that they're trying to like block off partnerships. Cause like if Ford does a Rivian deal on a sick truck, then Ford can't do a sick Ford truck. You know, I want to touch on like some of these macros, right? We, you were talking about earlier with like Ken Griffin. I, I joked that he was like the sheriff of Nottingham coming after all these Robin Hooders, right? We almost had the 
copy of the constitution that was kind of funny to see but understanding what we've been talking about there's literally six companies that are holding everything up right now but like last year december to remember right with iwm like what what's going on from a macro level real quick tony yeah i mean so we had iwm finally break out but I, like it's it, it retested itself right away and i think that people are just looking at the market and thinking that the market's doing super well but it's like absolute garbage under the hood like it's really a disgusting market. It's like almost a rolling bear in anything that's not a large cap, super heavy institutional name right now. And that just means risk off. And what happens though, and this is what worries me and what like, you know, people are like, Tony, Tony, like you're not like as like excited for the markets anymore. No, man, because we're going to get fucking dick slapped soon. It's going to happen. Like the markets just, they don't, they don't have the same strength that they had for the last couple of years. And yeah, that's and, and, like, for the last year. And I'm telling you, it's like all the money in the markets has just naturally been flowing towards the Amazon, Google, Facebooks, because first of all, those will move least, right? Like, and if people are expecting a crash, the smart people will put money into those bigger names. If you look at like the five biggest NASDAQ companies, they were the majority of the gains in the last big upswing. Like I think it was like in the uh, August, October, August, September, October upswing there. It's like happening again here. And it's just been happening this entire year. And so you're seeing like a bunch of money just flow into these like fang stocks. Like, I will say that obviously like they're, they were, you know, give or take undervalued, but the money is just flowing into them institutionally now. Like people don't want risk in any other assets. And what makes me think that the market's not in a steady spot now is it's always the biggest soldiers that are last to fall. And then once they fall, the whole market resets and you're going to get like a 10, probably like it's either going to be a, like Sam was saying, Avi, it's a five or a 30% crash. And I would say it's probably going to be the latter. And so I don't know when or why. And I think it's just all to do with the Fed tapering and everything. Like, as we said, and like I said, all, all year conditions change, like you have to understand that. But I think that it's crazy to see that so many stocks that people expect to get sold off before this all happens have already been sold off. Like if you look at ARC, for example, ARC is, would be probably 95 without Tesla in it. And like Tesla is the only thing that's holding ARC up. So like it, ARC would be down 20% for this year. And then that's like the general the small cap growth in that sector area. So I don't think that we're in like a super healthy market right now. Like you, you saw the lows, the breadth of the market's horrible. The new lows on the NASDAQ were like super, super high this week. And it's not supposed to be that way when we're getting all time highs and when like Google and Amazon are up a hundred bucks. And, and that's why it's because Google and Amazon are up a hundred bucks. So you look at the entire market and you say like, all right, we have like three or four nice, maybe like 10 nice stocks, right? Like everyone knows them. So it's like the Nets, the Shopify's, right? Like the Apples. But I learned this thing when I was in high school and it really stuck with me. If you have a punch bowl and you put a little bit of shit in the punch bowl and then you take the shit out, the punch is still going to taste like shit. And that's the market right now. Like granted, yes, there's a bunch of good companies that are doing well in the market, but it's a shitty punch bowl. And so- Whenever, you know, at some point you're going to go, you're going to take a sip of that punch bowl. You're going to taste a shit. And that's the market I see right now. Like I, I just, I just can't be super bullish by seeing so many lows happen for the NASDAQ with all these names. Like the last time I saw this was like August, September of last year. There's like this gamma squeeze, which is what this is. It's just gamma and that correct. So I, I don't know when it will, but I do know that like, it'd be foolish to not think that this is an overextension and like under the hood is disgusting. So 2020 investors, this was something I put down as a bullet point because I think 
this is something to think about is the majority of FinTwit just kind of started in March. Like when everyone was starting to make a ton of money, it's not going to be this easy moving forward, right? And like mm-hmm. 2022 is going to get real difficult. Avi, honestly, I think that a couple of things are going to happen. I think a lot of the people who went to stocks didn't go to stocks for stocks. They went to stocks for the gains. And so if they want to go to the gains, they'll go to crypto because like that's obviously where the gains will be. So I think a lot of the people will be pivoting there. And those are probably the people who are more like me, who are like more traders and more people who just chase the money. And I think that people who, like there are still going to be great stocks that people want to back. Like I always want to back SE, I want to back Tesla, like great companies that you just want to, because like you, you are very strongly convicted in those companies and they've done really well over a lot of quarters. And I think that's kind of more into what we were just saying. Like, I think the people in 2022 are not going to be getting the same gains as in 2020 or even 2021, just because we're going to start tapering. And like, I just can't imagine a world in which like you pump the balloon, you pump this balloon to the moon and then you slowly, you hold it by the thing and you let it go and it starts swirling all over. We're going to have deflation. And so having this deflation will probably not be the best thing for crypto, but good thing crypto is on its own legs. I think stocks in in general, you're going to be able to see a lot of probably opportunities in the next year. And so, and that's why I think people are like gearing up for that. And then what they do is they buy stuff like the fangs, which will go down least in a crash regardless. Like even if it's like a 10% crash, that 10% comes from SPX, which comes from like Apple and Amazon and Google, right? So people are like, it's, e- it's the easiest pair trades you can have on right now, right? Like SPX and then those five things. So that will probably be where a lot of the action's happening. Of course, you get new things. Like we got SE and we got Shopify and NVIDIA and Tesla. And like people are getting that, that they're in the same category. But I really don't know what it's going to take for a lot of those like smaller names that have been getting hit to get better. Like I think that maybe it's the most fate lives irony where it's like it, they flip once we start really tightening, which kind of makes me think that we will because we've been selling off in those names all year. So it's definitely something to see, but I don't think that the next year will be as fruitful whatsoever. So no Santa, no Santa to come in to save us here for the IWM. No, I, I think we could, I still think 52 or what did I say? 5,200 SPX. Yeah. 5,000 SPX. I still think that's coming. I just don't think it's going to be a healthy broad market. And I think that once we get around those levels, maybe even from here, maybe I'm a little overshot on my target. I just think that we're going to start seeing a little bit of the balloon on deflate just because like it's that natural deflation that they're, they're trying to constrict the money supply, right? Like these things have been pumping by the Fed. The Fed is now going against us. Granted, they're going slowly and at pace and they're not doing rates for a little while. Like, fine. doesn't matter. It's the narrative, you know? I got to introduce Davey Milhouse. This is, this is special for me too. Before I was a, a FinTwit secondhand, almost famous celebrity to you, Tony, I actually looked up on Davey Milhouse. Da- Davey Milhouse had 10,000 followers, MMA, NFL guru. And then he started talking to me about stocks and we started becoming friends, you know, so it's pretty cool. So Milhouse, I had to bring you on because you were like, dude, we got to talk about like the forgotten favorites. You have so many stocks that you guys crushed but don't bring them up again. So you you wanted to bring up one specifically that has been getting killed lately. So funny timing here with TDOC, right? But you talked to me about why you think TDOC's about to start to ascend. Right on. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. This is actually really cool. It's like my favorite podcast. So 
I guess I can just check that off my box. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't even going to tell you it's T-Doc. All my notes are like, and now can you guess what this stock is? But uh, now you know it's T-Doc. So let's talk Teladoc. Like what the hell has been going on with Teladoc? Well, last quarter, so we're talking Q3 of 2021. This company had 80% year-over-year revenue growth. They hold a 67% gross margin. Their operating cash flow is up 138% year over year, and they have a strong balance sheet. They have two and a half times more cash than they have current liabilities. That's strong. That's super strong. The business is chugging along. The stock price has done anything but chug along. It's done about 62% from its highs. I honestly thought it would double bottom at 120. It hit 118 today, 117.99, I think it closed. That's pretty wild. I, I didn't even think it would get past that 120. But but anyway, this company is not yet profitable, so I can understand how this can happen. Uh, the latest quarter was minus $60 million, and most of that was due to the acquisition and the stock-based comp that comes with it. But for me, when I'm looking at this, the fascinating part for me is with a gross margin of 67%, we're talking like add another $110 million and you're profitable. Uh, that's not too hard to do. And so it's kind of my belief that when you flip from you're not a profitable company to a profitable company, mm-hmm. and there's this correlation to outsized gains. And I can use some examples here. If you go back to Tesla, when it started its first profitable quarter, so not when it was announced, but day one of that first profitable quarter, the stock price was $38. Split adjusted, obviously, like we are now, but $38. That's a fucking run. Can I say that? I don't even know. Sorry. We'll retake that if I have to. Next, Roku. Roku was $110 three quarters ago. The start of its very first quarter, it ran to almost $500 in three quarters just because, oh, now they're profitable. Now I guess I believe in it. Like, it's ridiculous. And so here's Teladoc. This company is absolutely primed for a similar reaction. It's an if and when they become profitable, but I assume that's coming. I assume it's coming in the next two to four quarters because they gave us a guidance of 28 to 29% revenue growth. And if we just add that on and with your 67% margin, I think you're in a pretty good position. So yeah, I just, I I don't get it. And and there's other parts to this too. People think Teladoc's like this COVID story. Oh, now no one wants to go to the doctor. They're just going to call Teladoc. Well, guess what? When you have a runny nose, it's not a cold anymore. You need a PCR test. You can't do that through your phone. They went from 50% of their revenue coming from these regular colds and stuff to down to 20%. Because obviously all of that falls under the umbrella that you need a PCR test. Everyone makes a big deal out of 1% membership growth. They're lucky they grew at all. Memberships, people like you and I don't buy memberships to be sick. That's businesses. If you go on their website and look at job postings, I don't know if you have enough time to read all the job postings. It's never ending. Okay. So back in August, I'm on Twitter and I'm in Teladoc then. I'm long now. I'm a bag holder. Dude, I bought the dip. I bought the dip, dip. I bought the dip, dip, dip. My bags are holding bags. But Teladoc had so many complaints. People are pissed off. We're waiting eight hours to see a doctor. That's not normal. That can't continue. But that's a good short term indication of demand. We've seen it with Peloton. We see it now with Tesla. If you want to buy a new car, it's like, see you next year. If you're lucky, right. maybe 2023, right? That's a good short-term indication of demand. And what's Teladoc doing about it? I can't even tell you how many job postings there are because I can't count that high. It is ridiculous. So, I mean, geez, man, they're doing everything they can about this demand. 
they're actually being hurt by COVID because businesses can't buy the memberships because they can't send anyone there. And yet Mm -hmm. they still manage to grow that. And they're also growing their average revenue per user significantly in this time. So even though 50% of their visits were for stuff like the flu, which is down to 20 now, they still grew revenue by 80%. And their forward guidance of 28, 29%, like I said, if that actually happens, they should become profitable. And what happens when companies go from a growth stock speculation mm-hmm. to a growth stock that's actually profitable? They tend to, you know, rock it. And geez, I mean, we're at the bottom, man. This is a 52-week low today. So it's like, what a yeah, day to crazy. hype up Teladoc. I, I'm a zig when other guys zag. And that's why I love you guys, because you get it. You <laughs> absolutely get it. But I'm scratching my head here. Is this like, should I put on my tinfoil hat? Is this some, some sort of conspiracy against Kathy Wood? Because it's the only stock you just need to hammer down to take take all of her funds. Yeah. You can take down Arc G, you can take down Arc K, you can take down all of them by taking down Teladoc. What's going on here? Do people really hate a profitable company with this platform, with a company like Lavongo that they just snagged like that? You know, that was a good acquisition. We all thought yeah. Lavongo should have bought them, but no, that's just, just getting started, bro. But go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, Davey Milhouse, you just you killed it. And, and it's so cool. We're going to try to bring more pounders on to like bring up stocks that they love and ask these questions, have Tony answer them. But I, I think you're, you're bringing up a huge point. And like, obviously, I've been so long on share care. And I think that every all of these companies kind of got really hyped during COVID. And then they go through these phases, right? It's very cyclical. And like, we're out of this phase right now. I'm holding on to all my share care. I also do like Teladoc. When you've talked to me about this company, I'm like, it doesn't make sense that it's this far yeah. down, right? And so, yeah, t- 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 obliterated. let's get the expert uh, opinion, Tony. So when we were looking into Teladoc uh, after the Lavongo merger, because like the whole reason I was super bullish on Lavongo, right? And like and now Lavongo and Teladoc combined is worth less than Lavongo. And so I think that Teladoc now has just been acquiring very well and it's just still taking this time for the synergy and i will definitely say that arc g has a huge play in it right like t doc got squeezed 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 and then you know with the growth correction and everything specifically like the kathy targeting for sure drove it down but if you look at like some of their acquisitions like i was reading this tweet they bought better help for very very like very small amount i forget what it was it's like a menial amount and they make 700 million in rev now so like thinking about where people are going to be moving towards in like the health space. Like I know COVID has definitely had detrimental effects on a lot of people mentally, myself included COVID sucked, but I think that people go to therapy more and more now for those reasons. And so that's why better helps exploding. And we talked about this in the pot as well. Like COVID will have those unfortunately negative externalities that come out. I was looking at the comparison between their competitors and I could barely see the competitors on the graph because they were just like negligible. And so if you think like, okay, mental health is clearly a big thing and it's like more and more prevalent and people are not only like, I'm not saying that people are more like have, they have more mental illnesses, but it's just more prevalent in terms of like what we're talking about. And it's like more acceptable and it's okay to go get therapy these days now. So I think that that's going to be a massive part of their business. That's just already showing how much it's growing really well. And I think that the synergies from Livongo, we talked about how many they had back then. And I think that that once again, took time because like, we haven't seen the crossover show of what that synergy's maximum would have been. And I think just the combination of that being matched with 
everyone putting money off of risk, which was those work from home names. And TDOC was the perfect poster child of the COVID trade that it is getting hit the most. But it is like now that I'm saying all these things, starting to get interested again. You it's, mentioned it's viewed as that uh, that COVID trade, right? But like I said, that that actually affected their business negatively because people can't actually visit Teladoc when they're sick. They need a PCR test to go to work. And then the mentality of the market is they should have grown because of COVID because no one's going to the doctor. So I'm calling that a catalyst that's just not appropriately priced in. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's just something I noticed. This whole mental health thing is real. It's been stigmatized. You know, it's like people are like, oh, I'm a man. I'm too strong. I'm way too strong to go get mental health. But like I've got I'll say it. I've, I've seen a therapist. Like I have a lot of guy friends, too, that have now seen therapists. This is going to be a mental shift. Right. And people should go think about this as going to the gym. Right. If you're not strong mentally and feel a little off who you are, that could be a big shift. And I think these stocks now have, have started to come down because they all were thought of as these COVID stocks, but I'm with you. I'll pound the table on, on Doc because at this price, it's absurd. I mean, they, it's literally the price. It's, like, it's eight times bought. sales. It's yeah. Well, isn't the price and, and, they and bought like Livongo for? <laughs> like, it's, I think it's less. Really, it's yeah. less. Yeah. I mean, to- I will have with a caveat too. It's like, yeah, like I do think it's like probably a really good value play right now, but I will say that I don't know when, names that are supposed to be running will start to run. You know what I mean? We're in the situation now where it's a play and feel market. You're not going to be yeah. able to, you'll, you'll know when it's time for those names. And I, I don't know when that is. I think that we've been thinking that it was going to be for a while. And then like they sold off in anticipation of the tightening. There's like only a few outcomes that can happen. It's like the market crashes, resets everything, and then the market can move normally again. Or the big sellers in the market slowly bleed off and then money goes into those growth names. But like, I don't, I don't see the second one happening. I'm not like doomsday bearish, but I am saying that like, it's very hard to see where we're going to be going. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because no one wants to hear it, but they need to hear it. Nobody wants to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think if everything is selling off besides a couple names, I've never seen the market end up well after that. And even if it does, what needs to happen first is a sell-off to correct it. Because like the only times you've had a growth reversal is after an overall crash. Because money, because in order for like the market goes down, right? So like naturally everyone sells off. If you're like an index that you're following like fifty to five hundred different stocks in your like synthetic fund or whatever, you're buying and selling things slowly, slowly at those percents that it's moving down. But if it's mostly like Amazon, Apple, Google, you're still selling off other companies. And so to think like those companies won't necessarily be doing really well if like Apple and Facebook and stuff sell off, but maybe they'll hold up better and then they can come back and like be in a tandem situation. I just don't, I think that the stuff that's running will continue to run until everything stops running. That's my point. It's a super sketchy market right now. Super sketchy. One one thing I'd love to understand, Tony, you mentioned net, I think before we even started talking and press record here. Like net is is way like I don't even know where they're at now. 80, 80 right. revenue or something. Like it's when it's a, when, it's when, when when there is a crash like this, do you see these companies that are two X, five X, whatever, a little lower? Are they gonna capitulate? Like is that gonna happen? T Doc was net. Like, right. Like, like these companies totally. that are 80% though, right? They're, those are the ones that are going to crash the most, I'd imagine, versus... But you would think, right? Like, you would think, but I, I, like, I don't know, right? Because, like, every time we have a sell-off, like, 
Like, like we had a really bad sell-off. Net went to 60 and now somehow the fuck it's 200, right? And, and like the whole time, the valuation has been as egregious as like, so it's not like people are saying like buy value. You're not buying value, bro. You're buying what everyone else is buying on Fintwit. Yeah. So it's hard for me to really understand like what's going to be happening next. Cause like, I, th- I think the easiest thing right now is to just actually wait for a move. Like I, it's like people say that like you always have to be doing something. No, it's like 90% of investing is just like waiting. I'm really much so waiting right now. Like, I'd like to see either a sell-off like down to like SPX, like 4,200 and then have growth come back up normally. But I think that we need more tightening first to like scare everybody and cause that like flush and let the garbage just crash once, let the good stocks come back to earth and then let things even out. Because what's unhealthy is a non-broad market. When you're getting just a few names running, you don't have real strength in the market. There's something bad, like let's say, God forbid, there's like a bombing and like, I don't know, whatever, like the world gets like freaked out and like the markets crash, like it's 9-11 it will go to absolute shit just because there's zero strength in this market. Like there is, there's a lot of like institutional buying and those big names and like squeezes and and gamma and all this, but there's not like a breath of strong buying. Right. So if that happens, like (laughs) we don't want to predict this, God forbid. If that were to happen, like these 80 Xers versus the two Xers, like the 80 Xers will maybe go down to 20 X and like the two Xers, do they go down to like, done are they done though or like what you know what happens with these guys that are just 2x the i mean if we get a nasty nasdaq pullback that's gonna have a down 30 day yeah right but those things will get bought back because it's been decided right so like you see stuff like tesla it's been decided shopify it's been decided se it's been decided like those net it's been decided unity it's been decided airbnb it's been decided coinbase it's been decided nvidia it's been decided so those are the names Everything else is pretty much dog shit. And those will be probably the ones that hold up, even though it's going to be a disgusting crash, they'll still hold up the best. What you need is the money to not flow back in as quickly back into those names, but find the other opportunities that are down more. But the issue is people are only chasing super high growth, but they're not chasing profitability and stuff. Like they're chasing either the super mega caps or they're chasing super high growth. Like all the software, the ones that are up and crushing, they're only chasing the super high growth which doesn't mean they're chasing profitable, good companies. So people are betting, but like everyone's betting on the same things that are 90, like net. How funny was that when we were talking about like the Dow, we were like, we thought we were going to buy a copy of the constitution and, you know, people are starting to get into these different type of assets, right? Especially as inflation starts to grow, you look for assets, right? And so I think it's a perfect example of why one of our sponsors, masterworks.io, like they, they've just recently been growing like crazy. They have over 250,000 investors recently that signed up for Masterworks. This is the place to go if you want to just actually buy art. Like NFTs are cool, right? But like actually owning Casa or owning a bit of, this is like a fun thing to do. Some people are in real estate, some people are in stocks, some people are whatever. So for all those people that are sick of seeing their markets in the red, like just sit back, go to masterworks.io, buy some art, sit on it, go to the beach. If you have some extra money, you want to diversify and get away from this craziness in the stock markets, check out masterworks.io. 
right, Riley Ripper time. Riley has been absolutely destroying the markets recently with all of these IPOs. So we keep bringing him back until he misses. And I can't wait to fire him again. But you hit Portillo's, you hit all these QSRs. And you actually, this is one that I can just double pound that you've been talking about before the IPO. Sweet Green was a, a, a pound that you were talking about over and over again. This is definitely not Portillo's, which you also called. Do you think everyone's going to be eating salads now? Yeah. I mean, so Sweet Green was founded in 2007 by three 22-year-olds, which is very hard to imagine because I'm 21 years old. Imagine me starting a future billion-dollar company you know, next year, something like that. But regardless, they have over 140 restaurants across 13 states. So, I mean, it's still very small, but still... You know, they're growing very fast. And so meals range from plant-based warm bowls to salads. And uh, yes, it's fairly expensive. So most meals range between 10 to $15. Sweet Green essentially operates in a variety of footprints. So they have flagship locations, small stores, and they are also doing these ghost kitchens, which is popular, at least during the pandemic. And these basically exclusively focus on delivery. And in the future, they're trying to build locations with drive throughs which is very unique because not a lot of places you kind of go to and, you know, get an actual good salad right. through a drive through McDonald's. I don't know if McDonald's even has salads anymore, but, you know, it's something that is kind of growing where people can actually go to the drive through get something healthy instead of just getting a burger and fries. So I think that that's going to start to grow. And I think Sweetgreen is going to be that brand that everyone's going to kind of look towards for that salad on the go. Um, I would just say like sweet green, like everyone can create a salad. I, I live in New York and every single corner, there's a bodega that creates salads. Sweet Green created a brand though, which is what I love. And, and my first company I worked at, my actually boss like was best friends with the founder and they only had one in Washington, DC and they brought one into New York. And I was like, all right, Sweet Green's cool. And what they did was they, they created, they, they were like on top of what's going on in society, right? Like Kendrick Lamar, they had Beats Don't Kill My Vibe was the name of their salad. As stupid as that sounds, like that makes me want to go there. That is a cooler salad place. And like the grain bowls, right? That's something I always said. Like, I don't necessarily always want to have a salad. Sometimes I want to have some chicken or whatever. This, there was some acquisition that they made recently from the technology side, right? Yeah. So essentially right before the IPO, they bought a company called Spice, which is out of Boston. Spice is a, a restaurant with a robotic kitchen that was bought literally two months ago, three months ago. So very, very recent. And this acquisition included the patents and the four guys who created it, which is very, very smart because these four guys also are going to be able to work with them on future locations and being, they're going to be able to implement this technology into every single location in the future, lowering the, the labor costs and increasing the margin, which is very key for restaurants because they are very low margin. So having this type of acquisition basically allow them to have a lot higher margins and make a lot more money. And a lot of people right now, they're all worried about, oh, Sweet Green doesn't make a profit. Well, they're putting in place the processes to allow them to make money in the future. And so that's kind of why I like them. But a little bit more on Spice. The few workers that they do have, they fill these containers basically with the raw ingredients. And the raw ingredients then are essentially put through this automated system that will fill a wok that's rotating and it's heated up and essentially will just continue to cook the food. And the, the system knows when the, when the food is done. And then once the food's done, it will essentially pour into a bowl. And then usually there'll be like one person that is at the table, basically, that can essentially grab the bowl and then hand it to whoever it is. So it's very quick and easy. And they basically have a bunch of kiosks where you go in there, 
click whatever you want and you can actually see the food being cooked, which is really cool. And from what I've heard, a lot of people that are in Boston, they do have sweet green and they do have spice and they're very close to each other. And a lot of people are actually choosing spice over sweet green. So it's interesting to see the consumers actually almost preferring the new acquisition over sweet green, but also at the same time, if they could grow both these brands well enough, essentially you could have sweet green maybe twice a week, and then you could have spice two times a week. And all of a sudden you have customers that are coming three, four times a week. And, you know, you're going to be able to continue to get these customers because it's a very unique experience when you tie in the robotic aspect and basically the, the homegrown, the, the farmer, the fresh food that sweet green has, because they do source all their food from about 200 different suppliers. And it ranges from farmers to, you know, basically anyone that's organic because that's just who they are. You know, they focus on the health aspect versus, you know, McDonald's who doesn't care. It's going to be fake meat. It's going to come from a factory, you know, probably in China. You really don't even know where the meat or whatever it is even comes from. But on the other hand, you have Sweetgreen who actually is that health brand. And, you know, a lot of people that uh, follow uh, Peloton essentially, like basically you would go to Peloton, whatever it is, you, you ride on your bike and then you order a Sweetgreen salad. That's basically where this trend is kind of forming is where everyone wants to ride a bike indoors, whatever it is on your special bike. And then you order your $15 salad. Sounds really stupid, but at the same time, Sweetgreen has 1.5 million customers who order at least four times a month. So, you know, it sounds silly, but there's a lot of customers that actually will prefer this. So Sweetgreen is very data focused and they've been investing very heavily into technology as I just, you know, told about the acquisition, but they also focus on data. And just to prove this, Sweetgreen raised $350 million prior to the IPO. And this allowed them to hire data scientists from Amazon, product managers from Uber and marketers from Nike. You know, they're getting the best of the best. They're able to prioritize numbers like active users, lifetime customer value, and basically the frequency of these orders. And so they, they can keep track of what these customers are ordering. And what Sweetgreen focuses on is not really a customer acquisition, but it's retaining the customers that they have. Like I said, they have 1.5 million customers that order there at least four times a month. So they're able to get these customers. They're able to retain them, which is key. And now over time, those, those 1.5 million customers, they're going to talk to their friend. They're going to talk to their parents, whatever it is. They're going to be able to get them slowly, but that, that customer acquisition cost will be a lot lower while they continue to cater to these you know, customers that already love them. And that's kind of where Peloton, you know, they have their cult-like brand, same with Sweetgreen, and they have their cult-like brand. And as that grows, they're going to continue to get more revenue. They're continuing to scale even faster and faster. Yeah, Sweetgreen's got the obvious indicator. It, like, there, there are millions of salad places, but like Sweetgreen has that brand equity, which should not be like overseen. I have friends that say they go four times a week. And if I were to get one, like I'm, I swear, Leon Lotto, we'll give him a shout out. He told me he goes four times a week off of the IPO. It ripped. Where do you think this is going to go? Do you think just now it's like a sit and wait type of thing? So yeah, the offering price was $28 and it, I think it opened around 54 to 56, went to a high of around 56 to 58. So nearly hundred percent move. And I think that it needs to digest the, the valuation that it got. I think that it's a very, very rich valuation. But like I said about the, the spice acquisition, like the spice acquisition was kind of the part where a lot of people started to realize, wow, this company is not just a salad company. You know, they could implement this technology, they could increase the margins higher than basically any other restaurant in the entire industry because they have this technology that's patented. 
okay, so that's that's the main part. And then you look at other companies, you know, you have Chipotle, which is a very similar model where, you know, they do have the Mexican. And at the same time, you also have Spice, on the other hand, who kind of is at least a futuristic Chipotle, where Sweetgreen now has a perfect competitor to Chipotle, not to mention they have the health aspect of Sweetgreen. So it's almost like buying two restaurants in one at a very, very lower valuation compared to Chipotle. I think that overall, long-term, Sweetgreen can look like the next Chipotle. But at the same time, am I going to be buying here and slamming it? No, I think that it needs to digest the valuation that it got. But at the same time, if it dips down to you know, 40, 45, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe I'll start uh, you know, a small position and just continue to dollar cost average. But I think that just going all in right now at, at a $50, $60 price per share is just not smart. And I think that anyone probably with a half a brain would, would tell you that it's probably smart to hold off on it. And I'm holding off. I think that everyone else probably should. But at the same time, the company's worth what they are. You know, in, in today's market, you have Rivian that went to 150, 170 billion dollars and they don't even make any money. You got to look at these companies and see where they're going in the future and don't just value them on what they did in 2019 or 2018. You just can't do that. And I know a lot of people look at, at the previous numbers. They want to talk about free cash flow from two years ago. It's like it's a different world. It's not 30 years ago. The, the degree that you got in finance 30, 40 years ago is, is irrelevant right now. It's a different market. What happens if uh, Tony's right and we completely crash? Like, are these companies like Portillo, as you mentioned, who also ripped Sweetgreen, like all these new companies, what do you think is going to happen if, if we do crash 20%? I think that as we see the outflows of, you know, Fang, I think that a lot of those outflows can keep these uh, low multiple companies kind of steady. I think that they will fall a little bit more, but at the same time that that outflow needs to go somewhere. And I think the outflow will go into these value names as the growth names, the high flyers, you know, they start to come back down and come back to earth basically. And I think you're going to see like net come back down to, you know, maybe the one fifties, one forties, but at the same time, net is net and net. Everyone knows net basically is the internet. If net were to somehow, you know, get wiped off the face of the earth, we'd be screwed. These new companies that embody tech are going to be these QSRs like McDonald's. They they do not want to have anyone there except for servers it's literally going to be clicking buttons so that we're going to see this huge shift i'll give you a pound i like sweet green all right we got to bring davey millhouse back here mma extraordinaire for people that want to like look elsewhere into the sports market i know you're an mma master so you had one uh pick here that you you think could potentially be great here this weekend yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't even know that it wins, to be honest, but I think there's quite a bit of value. And, and when we're talking long term, it's like investing. You want to find an edge. And with sports betting, you got to bet hundreds of stocks to get, you know, 55, 60% winners. It's not quite the same as just finding a great company and letting it ride. But there is edges, there is similarities, there's things to look at. And I thought maybe I'd explain how I come to some conclusions here. And, and one of the bets I like this weekend. In no way am I saying hammer this, you'll make money. But if you were to bet this guy a hundred times against the guy he's fighting, I think he'd win more than the implied probability that the sports books are hanging. And so we just try to capture that edge every week. And over the long run, you make money. That's basically how this works. We're talking UFC Vegas 43. I like Davy Grant to beat Adrian Yanez. Adrian Yanez is a young guy. 
and he's kind of one-dimensional. He, he's a boxer. That's all he really does. He's never shot a takedown. He likes just to throw his hands, not even a lot of kicks. And he's young in his career, and he's got four fights. And the level of competition he's fought, in my opinion, isn't as good as the competition Davy Grant has fought. So when we go through these statistics, you have to take in mind, if Mike Tyson fights Steve Urkel every week, the numbers are going to be way different than if he fights Evander Holyfield. We have to remember that the, the level of competition is what really matters when you're digesting these statistics. Um, so when I look at this, I think Davy Grant is actually statistically stronger, more experienced, and he's priced like he has no chance when really I think he's got a, a pretty good chance here. Just to break this down, I took Grant, him, by the way, plus 230. I'm, I'm in. Did you? Okay. So I got plus 250 for my members. And I, I'm sure there's some sports books that'll still give you that plus 250. We'll look at that after. But this is a guy who lands about one strike a minute more than he absorbs over his career. And he's fought a longer career against better competition, like I said. Now you look at Yanez. Yeah, he's landing about 1.3 more than his opponents. So that is better. But remember, if you're Mike Tyson fighting Steve Urkel or fighting someone good, that that's a totally different ball game, right? So... Davy Grant, over his longer career against the better competition, he lands 47% of the strikes he throws. And Yanez only lands 38%, which means he's throwing way more, which leaves you more exposed. Every time you throw, he, you are exposed to get hurt. Anyway, let's get to the defensive side here. Davy Grant, 56% defense. That means 44% are getting through, and he's lining 47 so that's a plus 3% in the striking versus expected metric. It's not talked about enough in MMA, but that's important. That means you're an above average level UFC striker. You basically absorb what you throw in the UFC. If you're both good, that's how it goes. Anything above or less, that's how we measure it. Now, Adrian Yanez here, he gets hit with 45% of what people throw at him, but he only lands 38. He's minus 7% in striking versus expected. This is a young guy, a one-dimensional boxer. He's a good boxer, good hand speed. And I do, again, I think he should be the favorite, but that he is way too big of a favorite here. It's ridiculous. For someone who's minus 7% in striking versus expected against a weak schedule, who got his ass whooped last fight until he landed a big shot. I don't know. I don't like that. Like, yeah, he got the W last fight, but he was getting mopped. And if you run that 100 times, there's no way he wins that more than 50. You know what I mean? What's so, your confidence level here? So we got like one through 10 on, on those days. Uh, it would be exactly 4.2. I was about to get to that. But uh, um, so at a plus 250 is what the money line I got here. That means you have a 28.6% probability. If you're going to be a professional sports better, you have to make sure this guy's going to win that fight more than 28.6% of the time. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean every time, but it does mean you have an edge. 28.6 is ridiculous. He's going to win this 42, 43% of the time, maybe even higher, but based on what I can go off of, that's what I got. And that takes you down to about a 138. Yeah, exactly 138. That means if you bet $100, you would return 238. And 100 of it is what you bet. So you profit I don't know, $138. But they're giving you 250. If you bet 100, you're returning 350. You pocket 250. That means you, if to break even, you need to hit this 28.6% of the time. And I'm here to say that's ridiculous. This guy is a dog. He is going to be in this fight. Uh, and he's going to cash tickets at about a 42, 43% clip rate. If you want to be a professional sports better, it's all about opportunity cost of capital. That's all there is. You can't be like, well, I think this team will win this week. They price it accordingly. So 
You're not going to get ahead. The books are very good at this and it's hard to find edges. In MMA, I seem to find more because there's just, there's more speculation. You know, there's Mm -hmm. months between fights and your whole career is like eight fights tops, you know, for a lot of guys, some are like two or three. It's not like NBA where they play 82 games a year and you get these numbers that are pretty consistent and you can make it like a hard number and be confident. MMA, you need to use your eyeballs and your brain a little bit. And what I've seen out of these two fighters is Davy Grant is very live here and he's priced like he's going to get his ass kicked. Um, I don't want to tell the audience that, you know, hammer this, he's going to win. But if you want a little lotto ticket, this guy's going to fight for your money. He's going to be in this fight. It's not going to be comfortable for the favorite. That's what you want out of a big dog. This is a big dog. I don't give away plus two fifties on the air very often. You know, that's big. But what I'm telling you is this guy's live. And I think, I think he's got a pretty good shot of winning compared to how the market's priced him. So when I say I like Teladoc at 118, because I see this potential upside based on those statistics that I, I you know, rattled off, it's kind of the same thing here. I think the market's low on Davy Grant. I think he's a much better fighter than they think. At Dave Milhouse, at D-A-V-E-M-I-L-H-O-U-S-E. Follow him for MMA correct, fighting. And now we're going to turn it over to Tony Locks. Tony, give the people something to marinate for the week. Oh, you're giving me very Barry Manilow vibes right now, but I like <laughs> it. I'm here for it. I mean, I think I said a lot during this episode, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough situation. It's hard to see where we're going to be going just because I know that it's one of two things are going to be happening. And I don't think that the second one's really going to happen. So like, you know, in order for these names to come back, it might actually either take like the tightening to really get going, or it might take just an overall market flush to reset the balances. But right now, like, I just think that we're definitely just seeing the market being carried up by these like five or six horsemen. And I would say like the biggest piece of alpha I could give right now is watch those. Like, don't watch your own stocks. Like, don't watch what you think is going to go. Watch those. Watch those names that have been running. Because when they turn, the whole market will. And then when they stop turning, maybe the whole market will run. And so that's what I'm looking for, Pounders. Hopefully, I'm not calling a podcast this like huge crash right before the market crashes again. But I did it earlier this year, so let's see. But with that being said, Pounders, no matter what happens, we'll be back in the booth next week for another episode of Pounding the Table. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm a big Yeah, you got to change your name to Tony Elias for this show, too. That's a big and then you make NFTs like Pounding the Table NFTs. Turn yourself into a fucking lion. Big money, big draw and call it Tony Elias. That's just going for a million. Anyway, I love it. I love it. That's going in the outtakes. For all that try to count me out, and they still counting honestly. I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accountants. Sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in brickle with the tribe. Charlie sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce for the rice. I just peel off with the light, took her heels off for the ride. Don't say real talk, just a lie. I'm a real one, I provide, yeah. Drip on a hundred.